Okay, welcome to another edition of the Edlow Podcast. Subscribe, subscribe, subscribe. This will be a fun one. Maybe it'll be triggering for some people. Maybe it won't. Maybe this is something you need to hear. Maybe it's something you didn't realize you needed to hear. Um, but this is one I'm really excited about. I'm here with Kate Anthony. Kate Anthony is the author of The D Word, Making the Ultimate Decision About Your Marriage. Uh, right out the gate. So is the D word divorce or decision? I don't know. You tell me, Josh. <laughs> oh, there you go. Ah, up to, yeah. yeah up to it's the a, it's okay. a play. It's a play on the words. Yeah. <laughs> so, so you also host a critically acclaimed and New York Times recommended podcast, the Divorce Survival Guide podcast. And you're the creator of the online coaching program, Should I Stay or Should I Go? which helps women make the most difficult decisions of their lives using coaching tools, relationship education, geeky neuroscience, community support, and deep self-work. And you are a certified domestic violence advocate, a co-parenting specialist, and a high-conflict divorce coach. That is a lot of <laughs> dealing with divorce. What? So tell me, Kate, what was it that that got you down this road? Well, um, it started with my own divorce. Um, and really it was because I was in a very, um, I, you know, I say volatile, but really it was very emotionally abusive marriage. And um, we ended up somehow being able to have a really amicable split. Hmm. And I, I, it's the total luck of the draw. Like this is not something I, I don't, of, of all the things that you can, you can, you know, make your divorce go a certain way or whatever. This is something that I think really is luck of the draw. Um, and sometimes you don't know. Sometimes you can be divorcing somebody. I have a friend who's getting divorced right now from like the guy that we thought was like the nicest guy in the world who is making it absolutely awful. Yeah, that's so, it's interesting because I've heard a lot of people say you don't really know somebody until you get to go through a divorce. Nope. You know, I, I, that's, I say the same thing. Or like, you know, until you break up with them, right? Mm -hmm. <laughs> like, yeah. right, whether it's divorce or not. So, I mean, it's absolutely true. Absolutely mm -hmm. true. It just, it just, you learn so much about people in that moment. Mm -hmm. So we ended up having a really good amicable split and I was, I was very lucky, but over, so people would come to me and ask me, how, how did you guys do this? This is crazy. You got, and, and like, we were the couple that nobody wanted to be around. We were a couple that people were like, really, it was uncomfortable. It was embarrassing. Mm -hmm. And um, so when we split up, people were like, ooh, this is going to be gnarly. And it wasn't. And so then they were like, well, how did you guys, if you guys did this, like, how did that happen? And, um, but then I, you know, I, I went to school. I, you know, I got certified as a coach as a, and as a relationship systems coach and, I've, I've like so many certifications. It's, it's kind of silly, but, um, <laughs> um, but I'm, but I value, you know, professional personal development. So um, it won't stop. Um, so I just think that, so over time, and as I worked with more and more women over the last 10, 12 years, I, the domestic violence stuff was something that I didn't actually like go into this. Mm -hmm. thing I was going to do. Um, even mm -hmm. though I, you know, I am a victim, um, mm -hmm. 
of domestic abuse. You know, emotional abuse is a form of domestic violence and a lot of people don't really understand that, but I learned that the hard way. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, cause it's all about power and control. It's all about, you know, mm-hmm. taking away your sense of self, taking away your power over whatever it is, right? Um, mm-hmm. Usually very specifically your sense of self. That's actually, let me, sorry, I don't mean to break you. Yeah. Let me throw in a little bit of lawyerly stuff in that. Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, not that I'm a divorce attorney, but I've I've done some research. I've done some research. Yeah, okay? sure. And the thing that's interesting about that is exactly what, like, I think people think, like, I'm thinking of restraining orders, right? So a lot of people think that in order to get her, including judges, by the way, uh-huh. right? Like, even old school judges think, unless it's a physical abuse that you can't get one. That's not true. In fact, there's case law here in California. I know you're in California, yes. so I don't know if you know much about this, but the case, the case law in California says, I found this really surprising. If you get unwanted text messages or calls more than three in a day, that would be considered harassment for purposes of restraining order. I mean, that little, right? And, and I've heard, yeah, and I've heard really stories. Good to know. Yeah. 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 It's like, you hear you hear stories of people who are getting 50, 60, 70 text messages. They're calling from Google phones. They're calling from, you know what I mean? Like all these different things and they're they're threatening things and doing all this stuff. And you think, well, they're not they're not hitting them or threatening to kill them or something like that. So no, it, it doesn't have to be that much. It does not. It does not. And the idea, you know, the idea like, well, you didn't hit me. I mean, I, I have so many women who say to me like, well, he doesn't hit me. So, you know, and then I hear what he is doing. And I'm like, mm-hmm. that's, you know, I know women who have been physically um, assaulted by their uh, spouses who will say, you know, the bruises heal. I can I I can get past the physical assault, the emotion, the consistent emotional and psychological torture. That's the harder part. That's harder to heal from and that that's worse. Um, so, you know, and I also know women who are like who are being emotionally abused and like if you would just hit me, then I then then I then I would leave like that would be my that's the line. Right. Or then I feel justified in leaving. Um, and so you know, I think this education is so important for people to understand you know, men and women, because, you yeah. know, men are victims of this, not as much mm-hmm. uh, as, um, as women, but absolutely men are victims, can be victims too, especially from the emotional and psychological. Um, yeah. And you know, the thing, the thing that's hard about that, the thing that's really hard about that too, it's a really hard dichotomy right now, especially in what I would call, I don't like the phrase necessarily, but I would call like the Me Too era, you know, is that like because of the Me Too era, you almost want to always believe the women. Mm-hmm. But in the rare cases where it's not the man, I mean, we kind of saw, a, I think that was probably more of like a both sides were having a problem, but like the Johnny Depp, uh, I can't remember her name, Amanda. Amber Heard. Amber Heard situation. I don't think both sides were the problem, but. Um, oh, okay. Okay. Well, where I, do you, where do you think the problem was there? With him. Oh, okay. If you okay. look at power and control, who had the power, who had the control, who had the money, who had the, you know, he threatened to destroy her career. Um, victims don't behave well. 
You know, they just don't. I, I, I behaved in my marriage in ways that I've never behaved before or since. You know, when you're being abused and you're being psychologically manipulated and you have somebody throwing, you know, bottles at your face or whatever, like, you know, and, and, and threatening you on a daily basis, you don't behave well. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, I, I think it's so there's there, I have there's a lot there's a lot that I have to say about that. And it's a it's very controversial. And I actually had a chapter about it in my book. And my <laughs> my publisher was like, we don't exactly know how litigious Johnny Depp is. And I was like, well, actually, we do, because he dragged Amber Heard, who just wanted it to be over. She just wanted this to be over. She just wanted to go on her way. And he kept bringing her back to court because he could, right? And you see her coming into court and she's like, just, I just want to get this done. And he's all waving to the crowds. Like he was eating it up. He loved it. Well, so let me, let me ask you about this. Cause this is the thing that I think is really worried. And I'm not, this is not me. This is kind of me pivoting away from Johnny Depp necessarily. Yeah. yeah, yeah no, it's, a, it's a, it's a landmark. Yeah. Really. Yeah, yeah. No, but, but like, so for example, right. Yeah. Like I, I, I shared with you, I'm Mormon. And yeah. there's a lot of people who within the, not a lot, but I mean, a lot, the Mormons more and more are getting divorced for a very, a lot of various reasons, but it does seem to tend to be that the man has done typically something, at least in this population. Yeah. More often than not, you can see the, the man did something that kind of, you know, spearheaded the reasons and sure. they're pretty good, clear reasons, <laughs> you know, pretty and, right? yeah. yeah, yeah. It's never a, they just grew apart situation, you know, right. and. Uh, well, Cause I think in the but, Mormon church growing apart would not be seen as, you know, a good enough reason, right. Yeah. That, like, oh, oh, you know, we'll have a spiritual conversation about this or whatever. Right. Yeah. So and, yeah. Mm -hmm. And I actually, we're going to get into some questions about that because I think that's something yeah. my listener base would be really interested in, particularly what you talk about growth and boundaries. But, but yeah. one of the things that I find so interesting is that if you are so, so because the perception and the narrative is that women are, and it's true that women are most often abused when the man is abused, there's so many things that are so different right? Like there's a shame component for a man Absolutely. that's way different. And because it's not physical, yep. sometimes it is, but because it's not physical, the man is then, is then, you know, am I really be, like, they can't even imagine that they've been abused. That's you right. see what I'm saying? Right. I and, do. And I so, do. I do. So it's yeah. really, it's really interesting that dichotomy because we're in a place where I think rightly the, the paradigm has shifted towards believing women who have been abused versus where it wasn't always like that. But sure. the unintended consequences is then if the man is being abused, almost has a, hard, a harder time coming to grips with that himself and society kind of accepting it. Mm -hmm. Not saying that's not a necessary consequence, that it shouldn't be that way. Just saying that that does kind of happen. No, it's really true. And look, I think that, you know, there are a lot of... Um, men who are physically abused mm -hmm. and the response is like you're you know you've got a hundred pounds on her like yeah like what yeah. are you talking about and you know you can fight back what's but you're not going to fight back because as soon because you are that much bigger and as soon as you do fight back then you are the aggressor just right. by the sheer volume of your size right like that's right. you, you know that's it 
Well, so, well, and also, and also, you have to think about this. Police also, just by nature of their job, have a narrative in, in mind, and they're going to follow that. So, if a woman's coming through with a black eye, and you've got a little mark on your arm, you know what I mean? Like, who are they going right. to believe? So right. that's really hard. That's and right. Also, and, we're, and also, we're taught we're not supposed to do that. Well, right, and you're right. not, and you're not. Yeah. By the way, right? right? Like, you're not. Right. No one is supposed to, you know, if you're if you're being physically assaulted, of course, your your response is to fight back. But I would say that most men who are victims, their response is just defense, right? Mm -hmm. Like mm -hmm. just mm -hmm. defense because they don't want to hurt their partner. They don't right because they know that they can and they don't want to because they are not aggressors in that way. Yeah. Well, right? the thing but the thing also for, for a man in a, a I'm trying not to pull pull back too far on personal stuff but i can tell you that in those circumstances it's not about like the physical pain no you know no. what i mean no it's not about that at all like you kind of said earlier you know the the scars will the 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 physical scars will heal the emotional scars won't. that's right yeah that's really right tough. and it is it's really hard and it's you know when the person that you most love is attacking you whether it's yeah. emotionally psychologically or physically Mm -hmm. It's devastating. Yeah. And it doesn't make sense. Right. You know, you know let me ask you something. I want to kind of ju jump into something in your book that I found really interesting because of some of the stuff I've, I've heard before. Mm -hmm. you, you mentioned like right out the gate, um, you know, that, that you deserve to be happy in your marriage. And there's some people out there that I've heard. Um, I mean, you, you start by saying defining happiness and then you say that, um, uh, you know, that everybody deserves to be happy. But there are people out there who tend to talk about the origin of marriage and how happiness really isn't, wasn't the goal of marriage. And like, not, right. and also it's a feeling. So it's kind of fleeting. You really shouldn't mm -hmm. be looking for happiness. What do sure. you think about that? Well, so first of all, I actually don't say that you deserve to be happy in your marriage. I say you deserve to be happy. Right, oh, right, like, right, right. Sure. You deserve to be happy. And really, because this book is written for primarily for women, right. um, I'm, I really mean that to women and, and especially mothers who are, we are so conditioned to believe that we, you know, that we have to put our own needs last. Um, especially mothers, right? Like, well, as long as your kids are happy and as long as your husband's happy, like your needs don't really matter, but that should make you happy. Right. And I just, I just want to like bust that down because I don't think that that's, that that's right. Right. Like we've got this one life. This is it. Am I really yeah. living it for everybody yeah. else? Right. I don't want to, you know, you know, it's funny what you just said actually struck a chord. And again, I, I, I I know that you're speaking generally, but especially within uh, Christian circles, especially yeah. in my circle, like right. what what you're doing there, it, that is not that is actually something that is taught to everyone. I mean, right. like right. I remember I, I served a mission for my church for two years and we had this little thing that we were given called it said, I am third. And what it was supposed to mean was God is first. Every, then you serve everyone else then you. And I remember hearing. Uh, the president of the church in the 90s talking about marriage and him saying, if every man put his wife's comfort as his first priority and every woman put her husband's first priority as his comfort, there'd be less divorce in the world. That works really, really well in theory. But what happens when one person stops doing that? Right. Then 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 one well, person. You go ahead. 
But well, but also that sort of presupposes that that my spouse making me a priority is the thing that's going to make me happy, right? Oh, that's a, that's a good point. Yeah. Right? Like my happiness is derived from another, then I have no power and control. And as you said, what happens if they take it away? Then I just like, I don't get to be happy because my husband decided not to love me anymore or put my happiness first. Like, no, I don't want, I don't want to put my happiness in the hands of somebody else. Mm -hmm. I, I want it to be for me. It's funny. Cause I actually, my, uh, one of our couples therapists, when we were, you know, before, before divorce, you know, he said, he said, Kate, in order of priority, like, how do you, how do you rank? Like, you know, your, your son, your, your, your husband, yourself. Uh, and my mother was in the mix. Cause that was a whole thing. Um, <laughs> right. Um, and like, I, it's funny. It's real quick before you go on. Yeah. It's so interesting how extended family really can get involved. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. 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 Um, and I was still so enmeshed with my mom that like, it was an issue. And my, my husband was right about that. Mm -hmm. um, but, which is very different now, but, um, mm -hmm. and I said, well, obviously my son is first, <laughs> you know, sure. um, then uh, my, then I, I think I may have put my mom next and then my husband and then me. <laughs> Right. And, my, and my therapist was like, wow, we have this like completely upside down. And he said, you have to be first. You have to be first. Mm -hmm. And then he said, and then your husband, because when you create that solid foundation in the home of your own happiness and then your marriage, then your son flourishes from there. Mm -hmm. You know, so, so what you're saying there, I bet there's a lot of people listening. Right. Who says. When you say you have to be first, especially within like the church, where church circles are going, that sounds very selfish. So maybe you can tell tell us how that wouldn't be considered selfish. Like let them let people feel that. What does that mean, right? Well, I mean, look, we you know, <laughs> very basics. We come in alone. We go out alone. Mm -hmm. This is you know, people will come into your life. They'll go out of your life. Your children grow up, they, they fly the nest. Um, you know, a lot of women, especially stay-at-home moms have real mental health crises when their kids end up going, you know, flying, you know, flying the coop as they should, sure. right? And then who am I? Who right. am I? Yeah. Um, I think we should all be in charge of our own happiness. And look, and I think different things make us happy. But by the way, community is one of, we're, we are not solo creatures. I'm not saying that, you know, every man for himself and we should all just like, you know, live on, live on our own separate islands and have no um, intimacy, right? right? Because humans, my God, we are communal creatures. We need connection. We mm -hmm. need love. But how can I give myself to you honestly and authentically if I don't even know who I am? Sure. How can I share with you? And so I think the foundation of a happy marriage and union has got to be that I know who I am and that I listen and I and listen, there is a difference between there's independence, there's codependence, and then there's interdependence. And we have to st strive for interdependence. But what, what is the difference? What is the difference yeah. between codependence and interdependence? So codependency is I'm okay, you're okay, which is sort of what we were just talking about, right? Right, if, right. If you're okay, I'm okay. 
That's mm. right. So my happiness is purely dependent upon like, are you happy? Did, did you know, did, did I, did we make the right dinner? Is that, you know, you know, what do you want for dinner, honey? I don't know. What do you want? Right. Cause I can't think for myself, I'm putting all of it onto you, onto the other person. Mm -hmm. It puts a lot of pressure on somebody in a marriage or in a relationship. Right. right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. And so, and then independence is I don't need anybody. Right. Right. But interdependence is I am so good on my own. I'm really good on my own. I am I am a fully formed human um, who chooses to share this life with this other person, which requires me to open myself up in vulnerability, to connect, to blend in certain ways, but also then separate and do my own thing and you know have my own friends and have my own life but I'm still living all of that in partnership with you. Mm, interesting. So, you know, one of the things I found really interesting when you, when you read your book, you mentioned the three main components that bring up happiness, mm. which do not sound selfish at all. Just breaking them down, positive emotional experiences, deep sense of meaning and purpose and self-knowledge. When you think about those are the main components that make you happy. And I agree with that. Yeah. Is that, you know, I, I, um, you, you say in your book and I really identified when I was reading it, I was like, this is dead on. Mm. You talk about a lot of people place, uh, happiness on material things kind of, you know, that type of thing. Sure. And it, it's funny because a little bit about me, I grew up in a home. My dad is, is a recovered drug addict. Uh, he, he went to rehab finally when I was 17 and he's been clean ever since. So he's a great, he's a great guy now. Same. Him and my, oh, okay. So we're very, yeah, very familiar. My parents actually stayed together through all of that and they're still oh, wow. together to this day. Right. Okay. And uh, yeah, it's, it's an interesting, well, Rocky story, but you right. know, like good. I mean, maybe good for that. Right. But so even me, right. Like even me, like sort of the divorce coach is like totally has that like internalized, like, oh, that's good. Right. Yeah. Maybe it's not like well, maybe it wasn't good for your mom. Your well, dad is a drug addict, right? Well, it's really funny. And they're if they listen to this, they're going to get really annoyed by me saying this. But the thing is, is they never really did any sort of couples therapy or anything like that. And I really did think that they had they had they done it back. They, I think they did a little bit, but not definitely not enough. Because uh -huh. uh, the, the, the ensuing years after that were rough. I mean, yeah. when you have a drug addict, you know, them coming out of that and kind of learning who they are, that's a rough go. It right? is and if you could... And if not you can imagine me at 17 dealing with somebody who had basically had that maturity as my father of the same ilk, yeah, it was rough, right. right? Right, exactly. And he's your dad who you're looking to for the image of what is manhood, what is it to be yeah. a man, right? But yeah. I, but I got I to gotta hand it to him, though. I got to say, like, my dad now, now we have a great relationship and he's a great guy. And, like, uh, I do look to him for advice on things. And, yeah. you know, and my mom, too, she's very, very connected you know, uh, with my kids. I mean, they love her to death. Grandma's the best and all of those things. But the thing, the reason I bring that up is because I, when I grew up, there were two things that my fam, my parents always fought about drugs and money. Right. Mm -hmm. And so I kind of grew up thinking, well, don't do drugs, make all the money. You're going to be fine. You know right. what I mean? And, right. mm -hmm. and so, yeah, like never, never did, never did drugs. Uh, done very well financially. And then I started noticing, I, I noticed something very interesting was that 
I got started. I got all the things that I wanted, like a checklist of all the right. things I wanted. Right. Mm -hmm. And then at the end of the checklist, I was like, yeah, I'm not feeling it. Right. right. And right. so I'm like, well, then obviously I need the big fancy car. And then I did that. And then, <laughs> you know what I mean? And then, and, and then soon after that, bigger car. Right. Obviously. Yeah, I, I yeah. Need obviously, obviously I need a pinball machine. Right. You know, like that stuff like that. <laughs> and I have one and it's amazing. But like, <laughs> did that work? Did that do it? it? <laughs> for, you know what's funny about I I I hate to admit this. I hate to <laughs> it admit did. this. It did. <laughs> well, it did, but for like 30 seconds. I gotta say though, mm -hmm. the beautiful thing about it is is that <laughs> my favorite thing about kids is when you have kids, you use yeah. them as excuses to do all the silly, silly things you want to do. Right. That's such a dad thing. That's such a right. dad thing. I'm so like not that. Yeah, that's a dad thing. Like, oh, cool, we get to play. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's like I get to go to Chuck E. Cheese again and not look like a weirdo. This is great. You know what I mean? And so, yeah. uh -huh. so, but, but I, so I bought that pinball machine, and I, in my head, I was like, well, my kids will love this. They never uh -huh. touch it. They never mm -hmm. touch it. Yeah, you know what yeah. I mean? Yeah. So, so, but it wasn't until I started noticing what I really enjoy is things like. Every Sunday morning, I wake up and I do breakfast with my kids. Yeah, I love that. That or like, that. or yeah. like, I do one-on-one -on -one trips with each of the kids. This year for Christmas, they all got a one-on-one -on -one trip with me, right? Wherever, like, doing something special. That is where I get fulfilled, not the the fancy car, yeah. right? right? And so, but but the but the point I'm, I'm meaning that is is that. When you when you look at that and you say, well, it's very important for you to have positive emotional experiences, have a sense of meaning and self-knowledge, yeah. that doesn't sound so selfish. No, right? Right. Right. <laughs> so so how how so so but here's the thing, something I wanted to ask you about, and, and maybe you can help people work through this because I've seen marriages uh like this where somebody somebody is noticing that they're lacking in this area. Mm. So they start doing something and this might be a codependence thing. Mm -hmm. And so somebody then will go and start doing things to find these positive emotional experiences, deeper meaning. And you, you mentioned in your book, you say in healthy marriages, the other partner is just happy for you to that's go right. and do these things. Yeah. But I'm sure you've seen that's not always the case. No. How, how do you, how, if you're in that kind of marriage, when you have somebody, you know, do you, like, what do you, what would you say to somebody who's dealing with that, where they're trying to have these positive emotional experiences on their own and the other person has a difficult problem, like has a problem with it? How do you mm -hmm. navigate that? Well, I would say that the, I would, I would want to know what the problem is. Right. And mm -hmm. nine times out of 10, I would say they're threatened in some way and, mm -hmm. you know, they're scared of something. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know what it is. Um, sure. they're, there's got to be some insecurity there. They must be feeling like this thing is going to take you away from them. Yeah, and right. listen, in a, we all have reactions to these sorts of things. We all have these feelings, right? And so, okay, like maybe, you know, maybe we talk about it and I go, oh, I am. I'm totally threatened by that. Mm -hmm. I'm actually threatened by that. And I don't really want to be threatened by that. That's kind of a, that's kind of weird. And I'm so sorry. Let me figure out what that is. And then I'm going to take that to my therapist and I'm going to figure out what that is. Right. Yeah. That's great. It's not that you're not going to have conflict. It's that mm -hmm. we're looking at like, oh, I'm looking at myself. 
right? And mm -hmm. so if I have positive self-regard, if I have self-esteem, if I've done the work on myself and put myself first in that way, then I'm able to self-reflect. Mm -hmm. But if, I, if, if my happiness is solely derived from you and I don't have anything to reflect on, I'm not going to mm -hmm. be able to take personal responsibility for anything in the relationship. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so when... So if some, if I go, if I say to my partner, like, what is your, why, what's your issue with this? And they're just adamant that mm -hmm. I not do it, that it's stupid, that it's just taking time away from me, um, whatever it is. Right. And there's no self-reflection. That's the problem. Do you think it would be okay? Cause it, here's, here's a, another, uh, question. Mm -hmm. Someone might listen to this. Okay. And look at that and say, well, this just means I should be able to do whatever I want with no restriction. No. Do you do you think it is okay to have like for a partner to say, I just it's a little much, it's a little too much? Is that okay? Yes, because that's the interdependence, right? Like we're in a relationship. Like if we're in a relationship, we're in a container together, mm -hmm. right? And so everything I do affects you. Right. Everything you do affects me, right? How we deal with that is what matters, right? Yeah. So if you say, um, you know what? It kind of bums me out. Like it feels like you've been going out a lot lately and I want you to have fun and I want you to have time with your friends. And like, I don't want to stay in the way of that, but also I'm feeling a little lonely and I'm feeling a little disconnected and I'm wondering if we can find balance in this together. So in your work, let me ask you, because that sounds fine. Yet in practice, that sounds really hard for some people yeah, to absolutely. say that. Totally. So like, how do you get somebody to get away from like the fear of saying, speaking up? Like I, I know, I'm sure there's a lot of women out there with a lot of, with a lot of husbands who are out golfing, out doing things they don't like, having fun. And they don't, you know, you mentioned rocking the boat, being afraid to rock the boat. Right. Yeah. So like, how do you coach somebody into being able to speak up without fear of causing a problem? Well, you, you know, you are going to rock the boat. Like if the boat needs to be rocked, like, you know, let's rock it for sure. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, and it's really, a, it's really like, how does the other person respond? But I mean, I hear you, I have friends, close friends who will talk to me complain bitterly about their spouse and, you know, him, the way that he, he basically operates like he's independent in their home and they have two kids. Right. And I say, honey, have you talked to him about this? Like, have you sat down and said like, this isn't working for me. We you mean independent, you mean independent, like he's walking around the house, but not really doing much to help the kids. Is that what you mean? Oh, totally. Okay. Okay. And, and also like, you know, he's sick and he'll lie in the in the living room and take up the whole living room so no one else can go in there. Right. <laughs> or like right. he just gets up and makes himself a sandwich and like not the kids or doesn't ask her if she like literally just functions yeah. like, a, you know. And I said, have you talked to him? Like, have you sat down and said and she burst into tears and she's like, I can't do that. That's too hard. So. I, you, yeah. OK, maybe. Maybe I'm just different. <laughs> I just don't get that. You see what I'm saying? Like, I don't, I don't understand I mean, that. 
I don't either. Listen, I, I mean, either way, I don't, I don't get it. Like, I don't get him just like acting like he doesn't have a family and her just being like, it's too hard for me to express my feelings to my husband. Well, well, and I, and I, I, maybe, maybe that's true too, but I mean the, the husband part where they don't. Yeah. I mean, I, I understand. I think I could say that as a father and also someone who works and does all these other things, sometimes when you got something in your head, you get a little bit of tunnel vision and you're not thinking, Mm -hmm. but I mean, to just be like, I've heard of this from friends of mine where they've got like these husbands who literally have done, do nothing Nothing. for their kids. And you know, I, and this might be a little bit of a rant for me. So give me a second. I'm I'm all, I'm, I'm here for it. So, the thing that I find really interesting, so I, I do a lot with my kids, right? Mm-hmm. But the thing is, is I don't think I'm doing anything that yeah. is extraordinary. I think I'm just like, hey, you want to go to dinner? Let's go out to dinner, right? One-on-one, right? And then you wear, and, and all, the, everyone, all the women are like, oh, look at him. He's such right. a Right. That's, that's what I'm saying is that, like, I don't know how many people who are like, you know, I have season tickets to the Kings and I did it. Well, I, this is another one of those. I'm blaming my kids things. I love basketball, but I was like, my, this is a good excuse for me to go one-on-one with one of my kids, uh-huh. get them to a game, go out to dinner, watch a fun game. You know what I mean? Yeah. And so I'm always doing that stuff. And I'm just hearing, you're such a good dad. I just love how you, and I sit there and I go, what? Okay, guys, you are setting the bar super low. So low. You know what I mean? And I it's just that. like, it's shocking to me when I'm hearing some of the, some women that I know who are like, my husband didn't do this or my husband doesn't do that. And I'm just going like, I don't get it. So it's like, you know, but, but I, the thing I, I guess I don't understand about that is how do you think that that is like when that happens, do you think that that is the guy just being oblivious or do you think that's like, we hear a lot about the term narcissism. We hear a lot about, which we were both buddies with Tony Overbay, who's like the narcissist King. Right. right? right Not right. that he's a narcissist, but I mean, like he knows this stuff. He does. He'd, yeah. And he'd say, everybody has a term, a little bit of narcissism. Yeah. It's emotional right. immaturity. Yeah. Do you think this is an emotional immaturity being oblivious, actually narcissism or maybe that just varies. I think it's social. A lot of it is social conditioning. You know, we, we did this thing, right? It's like, we went from the, the, the fifties where, you know, men worked, women stayed home, took care of the kids in the house. Right. And that was a full-time job, by the way, that's like a 24 seven job. That's not even a nine to five job. Yeah. Um, And, and then we, and the 40 hour work week was predicated on men having someone at home to take care of everything else. Right. And then women entered the workforce, Mm. but men didn't shift into picking up domestic as, you know, the domestic labor in the equal way. Right. So it's like, you've got two working parents and they're both go to work, you know, nine to five, let's say, and then Mm. they come home and he goes and goes to the bathroom for an hour. Or he goes downstairs and plays video games and she walks in the door and hits the ground running, making dinner, getting lunches ready for tomorrow. But like, and he, and so I think there's a little bit of a social conditioning and societal expectations of what, you know, of gender roles that are really outdated. Um, 
Right. And, and, and it's a holdover, right? Because look, this is maybe our parents were like that. Maybe our moms didn't work. Yeah. My, my mom was full-time single mom. She worked her butt off. Um, but like, you know, this is sort of a holdover and I do see a real shift. I don't know if you see it, it with your kids, but I'm seeing it with millennials and with my, with my son's generation, Gen, Gen Z, they're like, they're just not buying into all this stuff. And I have huge hope. Um, for them. Yeah. It's it's so interesting. There's a couple things that I, I would say about that that I was thinking as you were talking about that. I find that really fascinating. You're, you're right in that like here we have this situation over the course of the last 50, 60 years where women have become, have, have, have uh, entered the workforce and started to become more independent uh, in that way, but the rest of society haven't quite caught up with it yet. You know what I mean? Like we're we're like we're trying to figure out how to adjust, and men are trying to figure out how to adjust uh, to this. I can tell you, just in the workplace, I yeah. mean, men. You know, you see in the legal profession, there's so much employment law out there because men are acting ways that are not kosher anymore, and women, especially in the law, right. in the law, we have a lot of women who, I mean, I think in my class in law school at least 50% of the women, of the people, of the people graduating with me were women, right. but it's not 50% of the women. I'm a partner at my firm. I can tell you there's not 50% of the people my age that are women partners. Do you see what I'm saying? Like, sure. so, so yeah. they had society, to opt, many, they have to opt out, right? Yeah. They, mm -hmm. they had to opt out of the workforce or they chose to opt out of the workforce, whether they wanted to or not. It just was like, well, somebody has got to stay home. And by the way, you know, you make 78 cents on the dollar that I make. So I guess it's you. Yeah. Well, and you know, and you know, the thing that's so interesting about that, though, then on top of that, the next generation, I have to tell you, as somebody who grew up in the 90s and is trying to keep up with like, I have a daughter who's big into theater, right? Mm -hmm. And I couldn't tell you how many pronouns I've had to learn and how many like different gender binary stuff. Uh -huh. And it's like, I'm, I'm open to it. Right. But it's definitely something that like, she's big into knowing this stuff. That's and right. I'm sitting and I'm sitting there and I'm like, okay, wait. So this person who just came over to the house. So that's, that's not a boy or a girl. Right. Tell me more about like, exp so when they like, come over, what, what that, are, man. I don't get it. <laughs> yeah, I'm like, Tell me what I'm supposed to call them. them. Right. And, and she teaches me and she's 12. So, okay. so we have we have from the last generation all this kind of uh, ar somewhat archaic idea of what women are supposed to do. And right. We got the younger right. definition. Right. <laughs> just don't even believe in the genders. We're trying to catch up with this women's lib stuff, and like, <laughs> what do you mean I can't I can't slap her on the on the fanny and you know call her sweetheart? <laughs> what? Yeah, like, yeah. Mean, meanwhile, the, <laughs> meanwhile, the generation underneath us they don't even buy gender. You know what I mean? Right. And so. Right. Right. So you're so so I'm sitting here in the middle going like so where am I supposed to land? It's, <laughs> you know. Totally. Totally. Well, and I think you know we have actually I don't know what I don't know what generation you consider. I'm I'm square I'm clearly Gen X. Okay. And you know So wait, what year what year I don't want to age you, but what year did you graduate high school? <laughs> a long time ago. In the okay. 80s. 89. Oh, okay. Okay. You're little, so yeah, I was I was in the 90s, so we're yeah. not that far off. Yeah. Okay. Well, 90 okay. what? In the 90s, meaning? Well, 99. 
Wow. Okay, Josh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. But so but yeah. So I think you're well anyway, it doesn't matter. So but like Gen X is like I mean, we did affect this change. Yeah. Like we affected this change. Our parents, like, you know, this whole like Gen X was was like out there, you know, being raised by wolves and drinking out of the, you know, the garden hose, like right. that's real. Yeah. Being a latchkey kid in New York City. Oh wow! I grew up in Manhattan. Yeah. I grew up in New York City, and I was a latchkey kid. Let me tell you, like that—that that is real. And so we really did affect a lot of this change, partly because we had a lot of trauma that we had to deal with. <laughs> like, yeah, we had a lot of you know benign neglect, a lot of yeah. like you know little t trauma that we had to deal with. Yeah, you and know, I, you know, and that's funny. I feel a little bit the same way in that when I see what my kids have to deal with, with the advent of phones and the internet and things like that, I, I don't know how many times I've told my kids, I'm like, guys, if there was YouTube when I was around, I would have been like, we all would have been canceled. You know what I mean? Like just the things that we, that we did. Oh, I know. Because the thing is, is back in the night, it just was a different world. If there was photographic evidence and like, you know, Instagram oh. of like all the stuff that we did, forget it. Oh man. Well, yeah, no kidding. It's such a different world and we're dealing with all of this and we've got this. So, so we've got this situation of people trying to figure out happiness. And I think this is something that's also really hard in, in, in within the confines of the traditional Mormon church as well. Not that this is not a Mormon podcast, but it's just, it's something that keeps yeah. coming to me. And that is that we still encourage traditional gender roles. Yeah. There's so many single income families where the mom the mom stays home the dad is out working you yeah. know and doing those things but in the same so i can understand a situation where a woman who is a stay at home mom still wants to be a part of this feminist movement right but as a stay at home mom and you have a husband i can see this being an even bigger issue between them because you have a husband who She's coming home and saying, hey, I'd like some help around the house. I'd like you to not pretend like our kids don't exist and just living in your own life. Right. But right. then he's sitting there going, well, wait a minute. I work all the time and you're here all the time. I don't understand right. why, why I need to help with the dishes when you know what I mean. How, what would you say is a good way to work um, like work this out? Right? Yeah. Like, how, how do you do that? I would explain that, like, you know, first of all. You go to work from, let's say, nine to five, right? Uh -huh. I wake up at at six. I Depending on how many kids they have, right? How old they are, the age ranges. I'm getting the baby ready. And then I'm making breakfast. All day long, I'm home with the baby. And then I pick up the kids. I take this one to this, you know, soccer, to this, to that, to the other thing. Then I come home and I have to make dinner. And then I have to clean up dinner. And then I'm doing homework. And then I'm doing this. And, then, and it goes all the way to bedtime. How is that equal? Right. Well, you know, it's interesting that you bring this up because I think that in these situations, like I have a, I have a, a few friends that are in this, this spot, right? Mm -hmm. And it really comes down to, especially like in, in these circles where people get married very young. I mean, the women are getting married at times where they probably live at home their whole lives and then they get, and then they get married and they move in with their husband. That's the first time, you know, maybe they went to college for a little while. So you have this situation where the the man doesn't 
understand what the woman is doing all day. Like she doesn't get it because he's not there. Right. But at the same time, the woman also, if they, if they don't have a corporate job or are not working, they don't understand some of the intensities of living within the corporate world. Like, it's not like the husband in most of these situations is just going to the water cooler and hanging out all day. Sure. So there's, so there's a big clash there. And I'm just wondering when you have those situations, what is the best way to be able to effectively communicate these these kind of like different worlds that they're living in? I mean, I think it's a great question. And I think it really comes down to empathy, right? Mm-hmm. It, do you, are you listening empathically? Like when your when your wife comes to you and says, I am overwhelmed and overworked and we have to figure out a better division of labor here because as far as I'm concerned, if one person in the relationship is unhappy, then the relationship doesn't work. If it doesn't, if the, if the dynamic and the setup and the, whatever the agreements don't work for one person, the relationship doesn't work. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so believe me, hear your partner the first time when your partner says to you, I am exhausted. Mm -hmm. I didn't haven't had a shower in three days because I literally don't have time. Mm-hmm. Um, I can't, I'm working around the, I know that your job, the thing is, I think there's this competition when I come to you and I say, I'm exhausted. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm, and I'm, and I'm losing my mind and there's too much for me to handle and it's too much on my plate and I can't do it all by myself. And I need more from you. The, the, if your response is, yeah, well, I work hard. You have no idea what I do all day and blah, blah, blah. It's like, well, okay, we're not, it's, this is not a competition. Yeah. If, if you love me, you need to hear me. Yeah. And I, and I don't, that's another thing I don't, I don't, and maybe this is just me kind of growing up and kind of having to spend time with my, you know, with these, with these kids and having to do that stuff. But like, I don't understand the competition element to that. It just because you're just because you're stressed doesn't mean the other person is stressed. It's just a different kind of stress, you know? And, and uh, you know, I, I don't think people, I don't, I don't think men understand how, how much it would mean for them to say, Hey, you know what? I know you're stressed. Why don't you take a shower and maybe call a girlfriend and I got it for four hours. Just go do something. You you know know what I mean? Do you know how many, first of all, you will a hundred percent have sex tonight. (laughs) Like, listen, do you know there have been, no, seriously, there was a scientific study from like some big scientific, I can't even remember who it was now. Some American scientific, blah, 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 whatever. Big study that men who do more domestic labor have more sex. Mm-hmm. Men want like, this is a huge issue for in marriages, right? The, 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 you know, the inequality of, of libidos. Listen, when we're exhausted, the last thing we want is sex. No, it's, so it, I, I get it, it. If you want to get laid, do some, ex- <laughs> you know, let her go out with her friends and give her some, like she will feel like she will drop dead in, with gratitude. Yeah. And you know, you know, it's funny too, because it's, it's funny. It's funny too, because, uh, you know, I used to not understand the love language, thing, mm-hmm. but yeah, like some people, their love language is acts of service. And for a, a mother who stays home, an act of service is, is taking out the trash and do, there's a reason why comedians joke about this stuff. 
Right. Right. Like female comedians joke about you want you want sex for me, take out the trash. That's because it's that they're it's telling you something. Yeah, they're telling you something. Literally true. Yeah. Right. So so um no no real quick to, to shift there's some another thing that I found really fascinating in your book that I never I, for some reason I never heard of it hmm. uh defined like this before, but you call it weaponized incompetence. Yeah. And uh tell tell me what you mean by that. <laughs> oh I mean, can I can I can I read you an exchange? I can actually I can give you an if I if I have it. I I might be able to give you an actual yes. Okay. This is an actual exchange that a client of mine had. I'm totally anonymous here. I really hope nobody's watching. Um, dude, she wants more chocolate milk in that green cup. What do I do? I need a nap. He says, and she says, why are you asking me? You can parent for a little bit. If you want her to have some, then pour some in there. From where do we have chocolate milk? He says, she says in the fridge, in the box from Costco. And he says, so you take it out of the box and you put it in the bottle. And she says, yes, open a milk and pour it in. I laugh because I felt this. <laughs> this is weaponized incompetence. This is what I don't. What do you mean? What, how, what do you mean? You, you open the milk and you put it in the sippy cup. And so she is now having to spend her time. They were, they both work from home. This was her work time, his parenting time. So now her work time is spent educating him on how to give the child chocolate milk mm -hmm. instead mm -hmm. of actually working. Mm -hmm. That is weaponized incompetence. It's pretending you don't know how to do something pretty simple. And, and it becomes more frustrating when you've done the exercise multiple times and they still don't get it. You know what I mean? Like that's the thing is that I call BS. You're not, yeah. you're not that dumb. Right. And that, and that's the, and that's the thing is that like, yeah, it's, it's uh and I, and I bet that guy is very competent in everything else he does. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like that's just, yes. it's, so, it's, it's this one area where you have to actually perform something you don't want to do that you are suddenly incapable of. Yeah. yeah. Right. I That's what's incompetence right there. So, so, so tell me then, because I got to say, when I listen to that exchange, right, I can imagine though, <laughs> the way she's responding. Well, I understand why she wants to explode, but the, <laughs> but the way that she's responding, how, I guess what I'm saying is, is how do you coach somebody in that moment, understanding that it pisses them off, understanding that they want to explode? How mm -hmm. do you coach somebody to handle that if yeah. they're wanting to stick through it? Well, I would say my response would be, you're a really smart, capable man. I'm sure you're figure, you'll figure it out. I'm, I'm working right now. Mm -hmm. You know, it's, I would not solve the problem for him. Mm -hmm. I would say you're really, you're a really competent human being. I'm sure you'll figure it out. Yeah. And you know, the thing is, let me ask you, unless you're dealing with somebody who has a a, you know, narcissism or some sort of mental mm -hmm. health issue that mm -hmm. is causing something different. Yeah. 
that just sounds to me like setting a boundary, right? Okay, during my work time, I am not going to be parenting. You can handle it. That's right. You can figure it out. And it's an easy, it's easy to set a boundary. The harder part is following through, right? So, so you set the boundary and say, listen, it's This is going to be my work time. And so I need you to be on, on duty for parenting. And so then when he texts me, when I'm working, I I don't respond. Yeah. So let me, okay. So let me, that 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 parlays me into something else because anyone who knows me and is listening to this is probably screaming at me because they know I am the worst at following through on boundaries. Yeah, that's the I'll tell you what. Yeah. So, so how do you develop the, uh, I don't know what you would say. What's the word I'm looking for? How do you develop the tolerance mm-hmm. for being able to do that? Cause I, I'm the type of guy and, and I know it comes from my parents. I was grounded if, I think if I accumulated all the weeks I actually was grounded, I'd probably still be grounded, but I never actually spent, I never actually spent anywhere near, I got off for good behavior pretty quick, you wow, know, most of the time. Yeah, right. And so, and so, um, and I think that carries through like with my kids and in my other relationships, like when I'm dealing with them, you know, uh, it's really hard for me when I try to set a boundary, they yeah. To, to not, because a boundary the way you don't hold is really not a boundary, right? That's right. That's so right. how do you develop the tolerance for these boundaries? Well, it's practice. Mm-hmm. It's a lot of practice. And it's, you know, this is a codependency issue, right? It's like, mm-hmm. I, but I set a boundary and then he didn't do it. And it's like, well, then you didn't set a boundary. Right. <laughs> right. right? Because listen, it's people's natural inclination to push mm-hmm. against boundaries. Mm-hmm. Right. We know this from parenting. As soon as we say, like, no, you can't have a cookie, they're going to be like sneaking their hands up. Like that. But that, right. I mean it. No. Right. right. And so um, and I'm the same way as you as a parent. Like my son probably got off of every punishment he ever had with me because, you know, first of all, he could talk me out of it. Yeah. Or, you know, or he's like, but now I'm not doing it anymore. So can so I? So is he going to law school or? Uh, oh, like when he was two, his swim teacher was like, I think, I hope you start saving for law school now. Yeah, yeah. Or he's not. Now he's a musician, so. Oh, my son too. Oh, um, there we go. Yeah. yeah. So he, so, you know, I think, so it is a matter of, it is, it is building tolerance. It is learning to sit in that uncomfortable space when people are pushing back. When people push back, they're looking for the boundary. They're looking to see if you actually mean it. Mm. And, you know, you learn who people are very quickly by how they respond to the boundaries that you set. Mm -hmm. And so if you set a boundary with someone who respects you and loves you and cares about you um, and and is not a narcissist and is somebody who actually wants you to be happy, They'll say, oh, shit, I'm so sorry. I did not want to make you feel uncomfortable in that way. You're like, I'm, you know, absolutely. Of course. Um, Sorry, go ahead. Finish your thought. Like somebody who is who is like pushing up against you. Right. Your job is to it. It's so hard. It's so hard. Right. But I sort of talk about it like we're all pieces of the this big puzzle right Mm -hmm. and as soon as we start to shift the shape of our puzzle piece Mm -hmm. all the pieces around us have to either conform or they Mm -hmm. pop out Mm -hmm. and there is this period of stress and that's like before one or the other happens right and they're like we're pushing up against each other 
And as long as I am steadfast in my resolve, mm -hmm. the other person eventually, they're either going to pop out of my life or they're going to conform and respect my boundaries. Mm -hmm. No one, no one will respect your boundaries if you don't respect them. That's good. Yeah, that's a good point. And, and, and this is something I wanted, you know, like I said, we could talk forever about this stuff, but you got somebody who's at the end. They're, they're at the end of their rope. Sure. They've been trying for years or whatever. You know, I find that most of the people I talk to when they're at the verge of deciding to get divorced, yeah. this is something that is not, is not new. It's been going on for a long time. Yeah. So what when they're trying to make the decision, what do you think it is that the women, women, I know you're geared, you're geared towards women. I would say anybody, but specifically women. Sure. What do they need to look at to decide whether they're actually ready to make that leap? Well, it's the, I mean, it's really the self-work, right? It, it is really, really the self-work. And I think, you know, there are certain questions that, that, you know, we can ask, like, is, is the, is, does the other person's behavior, like, is this modeling somebody, does this look like somebody, does this look like love or does this look like power and control? Does this, you know, does it, is it aligned with my values? Um, you know, and it depends, of course, like if we're, you know, being victimized or if we're, you know, just like unhappy. Um, but it really is the self-work I've got. I mean, and this is why coming back to the beginning of our conversation, why this really has to be about us. And it has to be about like, who am I? Because if I don't know who I am, then who's, who's choosing, who's yeah. assessing, right? And if I'm unhappy, and I haven't done any self-work, I'm going to blame it on you. But then, mm -hmm. by the way, this, the you know divorce rate for second and third marriages is a lot higher. It doesn't mm -hmm. go down, right? Mm -hmm. The divorce rate for second marriages is about 68%. For third marriages, it's around 74%. So we're mm -hmm. just, get, you know, if we're just going to be like, it's you're the problem, um, I'm going to trade you out for somebody else, then mm -hmm. I'm back in the same problem because it's still me. Mm -hmm. Right. right. So we have to do that work on ourselves because maybe it is me, you know, maybe yeah. I haven't developed, you know, maybe, maybe I haven't developed boundaries. Maybe yeah. I don't know how to be in relationship. It's listen, no, we don't, most of us don't know how to be in relationship. We have to learn. Yeah. yeah. Well, you know, and that's, a, that's another thing that I've been really fascinating, uh, fascinated by mm -hmm. is that you say you have to look at yourself. But for some reason, like I tend to be the type of person who maybe, and this is probably unhealthy too, but I tend mm -hmm. to sometimes overlook at myself and, and feel bad about myself, right? Yeah. So I don't understand it when I run into people who seem to just not be able to do the self-work, not be able to look at themselves, whether yeah. it's a shame issue or a trauma issue or whatever. Yeah. How do you, so how do you tell that person to do the self-work? Well, hmm, I wouldn't work with that person, but mm. I mean, I, I mean, I do, I think like, well, look at the end of the day, that person's not going to be coming to me for help anyway. Right. If they're not interested right. in working with themselves. Right. Yeah. But at the end of the day, it's like, my gosh, like this is my, one of my core values is personal mm. development. Like I'm always mm. looking for ways and, and may, maybe to a fault like you, like maybe I'm too like, you know, yeah. <laughs> I gotta fix it. 
Um, and I think that's a codependent trait. I'm, you know, raised by, uh, you know, an addict and a, you know, like, you know, this is, this is how codependents are formed. And yeah. so I, you know, I am, uh, I have a history of maybe taking too much responsibility and not actually laying the responsibility where it belongs, you know, at the, right. at the foot of the other person. Um, I don't do that anymore. It took a lot of work to do that, but I think that at the end of the day, if somebody doesn't want to look at their own stuff, like, is that somebody that you want to be in relationship with? Like, does that, does that align with your values? Well, and that's, what's hard, right? Is that like, when you are, imagine the people who are in, who are like us, right. Who always looks at themselves with somebody who never looks at themselves. It, it creates a pretty uh, unstable mental health situation. That's for, right. That's right. You know, because, if you're with someone who's always pointing the finger back at you and you're the kind of person who's like, oh, okay, let me go take that away and let me like, okay, oh, okay, you're right. No, no, I have responsibility. I have work to do. And this is what I did in my marriage. Like, oh, no, no, no. Oh, right. Okay. I have, oh, no, no, no. Yeah, it's me. Right. And I'll go and take another class or I'll go and get another therapist or I'll go and do another workshop or whatever it is. And meanwhile, like the other person isn't changing at all. <laughs> Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so like at, at a certain point you kind of lift your head up out of out of your own stuff and you're like yeah. wait a minute. Yeah. And then the, and then the other person they they make a little bit of progress and want you to praise them. Like you know what I mean like and, yeah. and that's the thing that's really you know oh. you, like you're not you're not giving me credit. You know, oh yeah, okay, I used to hurt you, but I don't I don't hurt you as much as I used to. That's progress. You should be giving me a high five for hurting you a little bit less than I did before. It's really uh -huh. It's a it's a really frustrating situation. So so you know it doesn't sound to me like you you are you know even though people would look at the word and say the D word say this is a book about divorce. It's really yeah. not. It's not. It, it's it, not. It's a it's a book about figuring out whether you can make your marriage healthy and if not, what do you do? Yeah, and it's really you know I have people who have read it have been like this is a, this is a relationship book. Yeah. Right, this gives you the skills to be in relationship, you know. Um, and you know, if I if 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 it saved marriages, I'd be thrilled. Um, right, because look, at the end of the day, if you if this helps you identify the areas of your marriage that are making you feel like it's imbalanced or you're uncomfortable, you're not happy, and you can bring that to your partner, and your partner is receptive, right. If your partner says, oh, my gosh, that's terrible. I don't want you to feel that way, even though the whole system and setup works for me. If it doesn't work for you, it doesn't work. Let's right. figure it out. And I actually have a friend who did that, um, a, a colleague who did bring the, you know, she kind of identified through reading my book some areas of inequality and was like, oh, that's why I feel stressed all the time. And she brought it to her husband and he was like, oh, my gosh. OK. OK. What do we need to do? Let's figure it, it, it out. It has to be what you do. And I've talked to Tony about this, you know, off air. I've even had him on air, you know, when he talks about narcissism is. Yeah. It's got to be really rewarding for you to see if you if you deal with couples to see two emotionally healthy people work through these things and actually come out with a better marriage. That's got to be really satisfying. Yeah. I mean, unfortunately, I don't see it very often, partly because I don't work work with couples anymore. Mm -hmm. um, I just do, but I don't anymore. Now I really just work with women. Mm -hmm. um, and so, but when I hear those stories, I love it. Mm -hmm. I love it. it. It like thrills me to no end. 
Do you find that now pretty much the people that you're seeing are people who either are getting divorced or want help with me having the courage to ask for a divorce? Is that kind of what you see? Yeah. I mean, look, at the end of the day, if, if you're Googling, should I stay or should I go? If you are, you know, looking up this book, the D word, you're probably not in a happy marriage, right? Yeah. Like, People who are in really healthy, happy marriages are not thinking about this every day. Yeah. You know that. Okay. I know we're in overtime because you gave, you said you were giving me an hour, but I, I have one question I really think I want to touch on because I know a lot of people in this situation. Mm -hmm. You say, okay, well, if you're looking these things up, you're probably not in a happy marriage. Yeah. But what if you're not, you don't think you're in a bad marriage? Yeah. Okay. You're just kind of in like a, it's okay. I mean, this is fine. Right. Like, I mean, could I, am I in love? Maybe not, but you know what? Like she hasn't done, you know, he hasn't done anything to make me want to divorce him. We're fine. I mean, it could be worse, better. It could be worse. Like what, what do you say? How do you, what do you, how do you coach those people? I mean, I say, is that really what you want for your life? Mm -hmm. Like, do you really, I mean, really, this is the person you're spending the most time with, right? I, one one very clarifying question that I often ask is, is this the person you want to walk off into the sunset with? Mm. When all is said and done, the kids are gone, and it's just the two of you, and your rocking chairs on the front porch, is that the person that you, is this your best friend? Because mm -hmm. all the other stuff that happens in marriage and like, you know, stresses and blah, 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 is this your person? And if the answer is, yeah, you know, then wonderful. If the answer is, oh my God, no, <laughs> like, oh boy, that's clear. Um, but you know, and the idea that like, I mean, I don't know about you, but for me, I don't want fine. Yeah. I well, and that's, the th I think, I think what I mean is I know, I remember the movie, um, what was it called? It was Steve Carell and Tina Fey and they were together and then they end up, end up yeah, yeah. doing this thing. But there's this part where he looks at her and he says, I just feel like we're just kind of roommates. Mm -hmm. yeah. And I think there's a lot of people in that circumstance. Right? Well, sure. And they have kids and like, the, you know, this is this, I think this is part of part of parenting and parenthood, mm -hmm. right. Is like, mm -hmm. you get to a point where you're just like running from, you know, point A to point B all day long. And you're, you know, collapsing in bed at night, like Mike and Carol Brady reading your books and like, you know, sure. But on the other side of that, is this your person? And that's yeah. what, you know, that movie, they were, they were each other's person and they, and they found their way back to it. Right. They mm -hmm. were best friends. They started best friends and mm -hmm. life happened. And then, you know, you're able to find your way back to, right. I think if I'm thinking yeah. correctly, you are, you're thinking of the right one. Yeah. And, and that's, and I think that's the thing is I just remember having a conversation with a friend and then, and him just being like, yeah, it's just the way marriage is, you know, like it's, it's fine. I mean, you're not always in this and I'm yeah. like, you know, you're not always. And I go, but are you ever in that love? And and it's great because it, now talking to this guy, you know, he's, you know, he's telling me how he's, he's finally kind of realized, you know, what he needed to do and, and really paying attention and really like spending a lot of time. And, and he's like, and it's flourishing. And he's like, I've been married for X amount of years. And I just never was, I never felt comfortable giving of myself this way. And now I have, and it's been great. And he's like, it's flourishing. Whereas there were so many years where we would talk and he would just be like, yeah, you know, it's not great, but it's not terrible. You know, it's fine. Yeah. And he just kind of one day realized that's not what he wanted. 
Right. And now it's great. Right. Yeah. And I just, right. I worry about so many of my friends who are in that spot that never get to that place. I mean, absolutely. Um, and that's, and that's right. That's important. It's like you asked him that question, you know, you want to have people in your life who's, who are going to be like sort of needling you. Like, really, is that, is that what you want? And he went, no, that's not what I want. And this is the person that I want to change it with. Yeah. And I think I know how to do it. Yeah. Right. Wow. Right. Well, listen, I've taken more of your time than you said you were going to give me. I'm so I'm very much happy. <laughs> okay, good. But um, uh, let me ask you, you know, you this obviously, I just have a couple of questions that I ask everybody that I want to just throw out at you. Okay. Okay. And then we'll wrap up. Uh, what would you say is your biggest success in life? I think two things, my son, mm -hmm. for sure. Mm -hmm. um, and having written this book, like, mm -hmm. holy moly. Yeah. I'll, I'll tell you, I had, um, I had 2020 COVID. Uh, so I had, yeah, you had, you had COVID classic, huh? I had, yeah, I had OG COVID. <laughs> you had, had the real COVID. Yeah. yeah. I had like OG COVID and it was bad. Yeah. And there was one night where I was going to bed and I thought I might not wake up. Mm. It was a very real possibility that I might not wake up. Mm. And I thought, and I was sort of thinking through my life and it was a very weird sort of Zen sort of almost peaceful experience because there was I mean I had no control like there was nothing I could do one way or the other right and I was too exhausted <laughs> anyway and I thought what do I have any regrets and I thought you know the only regret is that I hadn't written hadn't yet written my book mm -hmm. and so as soon as that as soon as I was better that was like okay that's what right. we do yeah so so that's a huge accomplishment for me um mm -hmm. And you know this this journey of of, of motherhood, crazy. Yeah. There's like it's, a whole purpose the that I made. Parenthood is the hardest and most rewarding thing you'll ever do. Really, if you're doing it the right way. That's yeah. right. That's right. What would you What would you say is your biggest failure, and what did you learn from it? Oh, <laughs> my biggest failure. That's a really hard question, Josh. You should have like given it to me earlier so I could have thought about it. Um, I think my biggest failure might be um, some of the relationships that I that I that I stayed in too long mm. um, because I really wasn't. Oh my god, that's so funny! Did you? Yeah, they're giving you the they're giving you the thumbs up. That was I, it. That I was it, Kate. <laughs> my my you know to the next whatever and yeah. this is the thing like you know uh yeah. so um anyway so i think some of the relationships that i stayed in for too long one that i'm thinking of in particular that's not even my marriage um that was so toxic and that i it was did so much damage to mm -hmm. me um and sort of i think to my friendship some of my friendships and and probably my kid just by the very sort of just by the fact that I was so um, consumed by it and, mm -hmm. and really just in a bad, 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 bad emotional and mental place for a really long time. But you, and, but what did you learn from that? <gasps> well, I learned what a trauma bond is. I learned how to heal from a trauma bond. I learned, um, I learned uh, it was uh, a few years before I quit drinking uh, I learned that alcohol is really, really bad when you're depressed. Yeah. <laughs> it's really terrible things to you. Um, I don't, I don't drink anymore anyway, but, um, 
Uh, and I learned, I think I found myself through it. I really, wow. I think that I found some, some of my, my strength through it. Wow. Um, Cause I was so beaten down by it. Well, you know, the thing that's so interesting about failure is uh, I have found in my life that you always fail up. Right. Yeah. And so, right. Yeah. Uh, la last question. One day you are gonna, I'm glad it wasn't 2020, but one day you will pass away. And when you do, uh, there'll be a funeral and a eulogy. What's the one thing you hope somebody says about you in your eulogy? That I made a difference and that I shifted um, the conversation around um, not just not just marriage and relationships, but around womanhood and like what it is to be um, a woman in our culture. Mm -hmm. Well, I can tell you, <clears throat> I think that you're doing uh, great work and I appreciate that. I, I loved when I read your your three components of happiness, I couldn't have agreed more. And I think if more people just even that little nugget there, of those three things and really focused on those things, I think that whether you decide to stay in a marriage or not, that there would yeah. be more happy relationships out there if people just followed those things. So, yeah. so where can people find you if they want to find you? They can find me um, at kateanthony.com is my website and everything is there. Um, I am on Instagram at the divorce survival guide. My podcast is the divorce survival guide podcast, and you can buy the D word wherever books are sold. Awesome. Well, for everybody who's listening, um, thanks for following up. Thanks for, uh, for, for following us. we got a lot more exciting stuff coming on. Um, Kate, thanks for giving me uh, overtime. The uh, oh, this one. Thanks, Josh. It's so good. To, so good to be here. I really appreciate this conversation. Yeah.